Hi guys, it's Jake. Welcome back to the Logan and Jake Take Podcast uh, for Elvis special number two. This is the second Elvis-themed episode. Um, I was able to talk with Trey Miller from Globetrotting with Trey. He is another um, YouTube star personality and Elvis researcher, and he has a wealth of information about Elvis. If you liked our first episode with the spa guy, Billy Stylings, you're going to really, really enjoy uh, my conversation with Trey. We talk about all kinds of things related to Elvis, and he uh, taught me a whole lot of stuff I didn't know. So um, sit back and listen, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Trey from Globe globetrotting with trey and if you like the conversation be sure to go to youtube and check out his videos globetrotting with trey um i think that you will really really enjoy all of the elvis content and all of the other content that he produces for his channel hello can you hear me sir i can hear you awesome 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 welcome thank you for joining us hey man i'm looking forward to it we're looking forward to it as well. Um, I wanted to start by saying uh, on behalf of Logan, my co-host, um, he wasn't able to join us for the interview. Um, he really hated to miss the interview with Spy Guy, and he was going to miss this one as well. But he, he's been doing a lot of work lately, but he wanted me to uh, thank you on his behalf as well for joining the podcast and talking to us. Um, yeah, like I said, we're really looking forward to it, man. Yeah. Yeah, you tell him. I said, I hate he missed it. He'll just have to enjoy it listening to it right <laughs> right just <laughs> like uh <laughs> like everyone else right remember uh i don't know if you saw it but the dark knight rises when bane tells batman he imagine he's just gonna have to imagine the fire <laughs> i remember that yeah that's great i'm a i'm a huge batman fan so oh uh, yeah uh us too us too a lot of what we talk about actually on the podcast is uh ranting and raving about what dc is doing with film and well, stuff like that <laughs> i i uh you might like this story i I'm the biggest, like, Adam West and Burt Ward Batman. Oh, yeah? And I got to meet them in Atlanta. Oh, wow. Yeah, and Adam West actually liked me because I was that one guy. I had a um, – I was, like, probably the fifth or sixth person in line that morning to go up to meet him. And when I was, like, eight or nine years old, I had a little Batman – well, I went to Biloxi, and it was in 1997 when Val Kimmer – Batman and Robin came out or Batman forever. It was Batman forever. Mm -hmm. And I went to a, one of those, uh, my mom and dad took me, took me and my brother into one of those, um, shops where they can spray paint your shirt. Right. And I wanted a Batman shirt on my, on my, uh, spray painting on my t-shirt. And I told the guy that I wanted Adam West Batman. So we left, we left all the details, went to eat, came back they had spray painted Val Kilmer's Batman on my shirt <laughs> but they added Zap and Powell on it <laughs> I was so upset man I was so upset and I had them say great Scott old chum on the shirt wow that's what Adam West always said and I you know I was a little 10 year old I was 10 years old and I told him what I wanted I was so mad anyway <laughs> fast forward to when I met Adam West 10 years ago, probably now in Atlanta, I took that shirt with me to get signed. Right. Yeah. So I take that shirt up, man. And it's a little bitty shirt, you know, and 
I told him that story that I just told you how upset I was because it was not your Batman face on there. And he looked at my shirt. He looked up at me. He looked back down to my shirt, looked back to me, and he said, you still don't wear that, do you? <laughs> Everybody started laughing, man. And he signed he signed uh, Great Scott or uh, Zap Powell, Adam West, on my, on my T-shirt. Oh, that's so, awesome. Uh, but we, I hit it off with him because I was the only person that talked to him about Maverick with James Gardner. Mm-hmm. And I had told him, I had just saw him on the, uh, the other day, which was true, on an episode of Maverick, man. And he set up when I started talking about Maverick. And he was like, man, that's, that's when I was real young there. And we started talking about that. And that throughout that day, if I passed by, he saw me. And he'd have me come over and talk to him. That's awesome. And, and the, be- the best part about this was I uh, went and uh, took a picture with he and Burt Ward. So I have a picture with both of them and me together. And I took it back over for Adam West to sign it. He signed that picture for free, Jay. Wow. And then he told me to tell Robin that Batman says sign this for free. And Burt Ward signed it for free. <laughs> that is that is one of the coolest celebrity uh, like convention stories I've ever come across. Um, I, you know, I've, I've traveled around and, and done a lot of these things and met a lot of people. And I have some cool stories, but that one probably would, <laughs> would top all of them. Well, it even gets better. It even gets better because I... Um, <laughs> I or I talked to him about Maverick. All that just happened. Then they had where you know they at those things they talk talk to the crowd. A little, they take you into a room. You have like a little thirty minute answer question and answer with them. Right. I asked the first question, so he already know, knew me because we've been talking all day. And I said, "Hey, Mr. West, would you dance the Batusi for us?" <laughs> he said, "Trey, remind me before we leave." When he got up to leave, he walked beside me and he said, oh, yeah, he danced the Batusi all the way down the row as he left. The crowd went crazy. <laughs> that is wild. That's one of those that if that is one of those things that if I told my friends that they wouldn't believe me. <laughs> <laughs> Happy with me, man. I just I don't know. I have something about myself where I can just I, I can conversate with these people. And well, like the best part is he was so like. You know how he is as Batman, but he mm-hmm. was just a, a cool guy. Adam West was just a cool, fun person. My, my, it, I think I, I watched the Adam West Batman. Of course, it was, you know, um, probably when I was a little kid is when I watched those episodes. But when I think of Adam West, believe it or not, the Batman connection I go to is that, uh, that episode of the animated series, the, uh, the Gray Ghost. Gray Ghost, yes. <laughs> yeah, where he voiced the Gray Ghost. I always thought that was an awesome episode. And that's my, that was my, um, well, the first Batman movie I guess I ever saw was probably Batman Returns. But my introduction to Batman really was the animated series as a kid. And Oh, I used man, to love that cartoon. That's, series. I'm that, actually, hey, nothing, nothing compares to that as a cartoon. No, that was the, that was the coolest to this day. I love all things Batman, but to this day, that's my favorite Batman. So many of the villains, that's my favorite version. As a matter of fact, I'm rewatching the whole thing right now on HBO Max with my fiance. We're we're having a good time watching that. Does it and, still live up to it? Like as a kid, you know, like because it was dark as far yeah, as stuff. Yeah, it, it really does hold up. And my favorite because of that animated series was always Mr. Freeze. Um, I always thought Mr. Freeze was such an interesting, tragic character. And then of course, I don't 
I don't know too so much what happened with Arnold there and that <laughs> Batman and Robin. But, Batman and Robin. But uh, you know, but um, as everyone knows, um, our guest today is Trey Miller from uh, Globetrotting with Trey on YouTube. Um, you guys have probably seen some of his videos. He also works closely with the Spa Guy, uh, who we interviewed a few weeks ago, and uh, this is our second. Elvis themed special that we're doing in the run up to the release of the new Baz Luhrmann film and sort of like my interview with Spa Guy we're just gonna just gonna have a conversation uh Trey has a wealth of knowledge um one of the things that Spa Guy told me when we were talking um sort of off air he said look I, I got a lot of stories but my friend Trey has a million stories you got to talk to him and I said Point me in his direction, uh, please. So, um, wh- whatever. Um, I have one question I'd like to ask you to start, but whatever direction, um, however you want to tell this story, um, the things that you find most interesting will go in those directions. Okay. Um, hey. And I, my first question really is just tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get to a point where um, you were making YouTube videos? How did you come up with Globetrotting with Trey? And how did how did that sort of turn into uh, some of your work related to Elvis? Okay, so how did I become an Elvis fan? We'll start there. Okay. I'm in college playing basketball. Mm-hmm. That's Globetrotting with Trey, Harlem Globetrotters. I'm spinning a, spinning a basketball on my cartoon. You mm-hmm. see my picture. So I, I'm a basketball guy. So I'm in college playing basketball, and I believe – I'm there. Well, yeah, it would be during Elvis week 2007. And I'm just hanging out in my dorm room, probably after a practice. And I'm just flipping through the television. And uh, Elvis, that's the way it is, was on television. So I, you know, I've always liked Elvis. I I was not a fan, I guess, as I was a fan of others. But I always like, I remember as a kid, I've watched, watched his movies and things like that. And uh, so anyway, I sat there and watched That's the Way It Is. And during that show, he sings Love Me Tender. They're on stage at the Hilton in Vegas. And he breaks out and goes out in the crowd during this performance. So you know the performance I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, I have that special edition sitting over there. I love that concert. Elvis Presley, man, kissed in two and a half minutes, 42 women on the (laughs) lips. Now, these are women that have boyfriends, they're at the tables, husbands, they're running away from their guy, and they're going up there and kiss Elvis on the lips. He became the coolest man in the world to me after seeing this, because I'm like, what did he have? How, how do you get that? Now, I have yet, Jake, to be, uh, to be able to kiss 42 women in two and a half minutes, but uh, I became an Elvis fan because of that one thing I saw. <laughs> well, that's, that's hilarious, because... Uh, the first time I watched That's the Way It Is, uh, I loved that scene where he went into the audience. And my thought process was, oh, my goodness, what it must have been like to be the Memphis Mafia members who were there charged with protecting him at that moment that he steps off stage. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and the, the greatest thing is I'm so glad Elvis did that because that showed how charismatic and the control he had on the crowd. Oh, absolutely. Because those ladies just how they reacted to this guy. I, I've never seen it from anyone else. No. Even and, today, stars today, no one has that kind of 
power no. that Elvis and, had. And and I and you can talk about, you know, and, and I always do talk about how the the only comparison that I have ever seen, and it's still not the same, but the only comparison I've ever seen is maybe some of the early Beatlemania or, you know, they say that in the mid eighties, Michael Jackson concerts had 5,000 faints a night during the bad tour. You know? <laughs> right. But, right. but aside, aside from probably the Beatles and Michael Jackson, I don't think there's anything that has ever been and still not, it still wasn't Elvis. You know, there's never been anything that was anyone that was that charismatic. Um, and I think that you can tell it, gosh, I would have loved to have met the guy because you can tell, just by watching him, um, if you ever sit down and just watch Elvis, you can't take your eyes off of him. Like, and you, you hear all these people talk about what it was like to know him and how he just oozed whatever that charisma, that it factor, that charm, whatever it was, he just oozed it in person and it was entirely infectious. And um, that's the way it is, is, you know, relatively early, you know, he's only been doing the Vegas shows for about a year at the time he's healthy well he's at least by all appearances at that point pretty healthy he's doing well and it's good to see him happy and having fun in that concert yeah he was in great shape uh just it, i probably peak elvis at this point 1970 i think I so i would say my and i'm curious to see what your opinion of this is but because i always say that peak elvis has to be from 68 to about 70 71 um, and I mean, you, I know some people who would say that who would extend that a little further into 72, 73, but, um, of course we know behind the scenes, especially by 73, even by the time of Aloha from Hawaii, he was not well. Um, but seven, 1970 Elvis, the voice is killer. He looks great. Looks like he's having a good time. Yeah. Well, if you if you watch the that's the way it is, and then right after you watch that's the way it is, put in Aloha Aloha from Hawaii, and you see a whole completely different Elvis Presley. That's the way it is. He's moving around the stage. He's hyper ener energized. Aloha, he hardly moves. And, yeah, right, because he's in pain. And um, his and his whole how he even looks in the face is completely a different person. He, he and even though he had gone through all these bizarre things. The 500 calorie diet. Um, we we know the uh, supposedly in um, some very strange injections he was going with to to lose weight. I think they they said that he lost about 25 pounds for Aloha from Hawaii, but he still is a little fuller in the face. Like you say, he's not moving. Um, he kind of stands there. He's squinting a lot because of his glaucoma. You can see that the the lights are affecting him. But I would imagine all those people watching that. Um, didn't notice any of that because for many of those people in Asia and Europe, especially that was their first real good look at Elvis. Um, and I love that concert. Um, I, I think he does great, but you're right. If you try to compare that to uh, what you were seeing from the early Vegas shows, it's a different act. Um, so I guess, how did you, how did you get into doing, um, Ah, can you hear me? Hey, hey, can you hear me? I'm back. I can hear you. And you know, the cool thing about that is uh, it's going to sound seamless on the episode. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, 
Uh, I don't remember the last. What was the last thing you heard me saying? Do you remember? Yeah, I don't even remember. I know we're talking about the uh, that's the way in Aloha. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I, I remember now. What it was is um, I was just saying, you know, if you compare the way he looked and moved in Aloha, like you said, side by side with with that's the way it is. It's very noticeable the difference that those three years made. Um, but so how did you go from um, you know, you said you were playing basketball when you were in college. Uh, you became an Elvis fan. How did the, the, the YouTube stuff start and how did you start to uh, research Elvis? How did it turn into um, sort of a, and I know you research other things as well, but how did that turn into a, a, a passion to do research about Elvis for your YouTube channel? Yeah, okay, so when I would go to Memphis, I would go to Graceland, but I was fascinated with seeing everything I could about Elvis or learning everything I could about Elvis. And I, that means I wanted to go to where he first lived at when he moved to Memphis, Tennessee. I wanted to go see where he went to school at. I wanted to see where he would eat eat hamburgers at. I don't know. That's crazy <laughs> right. about it. But I, I'm fascinated with knowing that Elvis was here once upon a time. And I say that all the time in my Glow Trotting with Trey episodes. So in probably 2015... I started watching the spa guy and uh, Billy would go to these locations and do these incredible episodes. And I would do, I would, I would literally at night work out and watch Billy, you know, telling us about Elvis being here with Scotty and Bill in 1955. Right. And it get me through workouts, Jake. Right. I just, there was something about his shows that I just loved because I was doing that. I just was not filming this stuff. And it's addictive. His 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 channel is addictive, um, and I can't recommend you know those videos enough. Oh um, yeah, and I you know I always call uh, Billy the greatest Elvis YouTuber out there because he is no doubt he, about it. Now you have now since Billy has done that. Now Billy gave Billy taught me into doing glow trotting with Trey. That's what I'm going to get to. But since we have done all this stuff, we have I guess Billy ETAs. Uh, and what that means is there's all these people jumping up doing the same thing now. Right. Uh, and it, it's just funny when I, I see a new person pop up and trying to be like the spa guy. But anyway, but fast. Okay. So 2015, I, uh, I'm watching Billy probably that Elvis week. I'm at an event with Dean Nicopolis and uh, Billy comes in filming with his camera. And when I saw the camera that he was using, he was using the same camera that I use to film all my work and my businesses and commercials and acting stuff that I do. He had the same exact camera that I had. And I had never seen anyone else have the camera that I have, the Sunny NX30U. So when I saw Billy walk beside me, I said, I uh, introduced myself to him and I said, so you use the Sunny NX30U, I see. And uh, we started talking about how we both love the camera. And we just hit it off, and I told him that if he ever needed someone else to help him film, because I'm a filmmaker, that's what I've been doing, uh, I would love to ride along with him. And probably a year later, after we talked, he gave in and let me jump in the Gray Ghost, which is like, <laughs> his, like his Batmobile, right. the Gray Ghost. And Billy and I, the first day that he let me ride along, and I'm filming with my camera, 
he has his camera, so we have two different shots on it. We are filming out in um, on the suburbs of Memphis at a house that Elvis actually took his friend Rex Mansfield to after they got back from uh, home from the army. Uh, Rex family, a family member of Rex lived there. And there's all these epic pictures of Elvis in the driveway of this house. Well, we show up to that house that afternoon and we knock on the door and the owner opened up the door and we showed him the pictures. Hey man, do you know that Elvis was at your house once? He had no idea. And when you tell that to people, we do it all the time, they light up. It's like a, something just goes crazy. Like Elvis was at my house. <laughs> and you show them a picture of Elvis in the driveway and the, the, the uh, basketball goal was still there all these years later. And that the, the garage is still the same, man. It's just incredible. So that was the first day that I was with Spa Guy filming. After we left from filming that, we were in the Grey Ghost, and Billy looks at me. He said, you know, you know what, Trey? I think we're close to a place that I've been wanting to go and put my eyes on. Let's ride over there and see. So we drive over to this house that he had found an address on that he needed to, to come and knock, go over and knock on the door for a, for a story. And we pull into the driveway, Jake, and we see the ambulance from August the 16th, 1977. In Your the far day. field, my first day, in the far field with uh, tree limbs and everything growing around it. Right now, guys, after you listen to this podcast, go and search Elvis Ambulance Found, and you will watch that moment when we find this, because luckily I was in the car with the spa guy on that first day, and I'm rolling the camera as Billy sees that ambulance that he's been trying to find for five years. That's an amazing video. For the first time, Jake, I got, you know, and like Billy said is, you know, I, he was solo. He always did this by himself, so he would not have had that reaction. And luckily, I guess God put me there to meet Billy and to do this Elvis stuff. And he put me in that seat to be filming when Billy first saw that ambulance. And that ambulance now, man, has led to the Tiger Man Karate Dojo and Museum. And if you're a fan of the Spa Guy or my shows, that museum is just a physical location of our show. And it's kind of like our Batcave. We've been talking about Batman. Yeah. The Tiger Man's our Batcave. And it's I, all for Elvis. It's a cool place. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait to come to come see that. I can't wait to meet you guys. I would love to get. I'm I'm coming to Memphis for my very first time sometime this summer. Okay. Uh, I'd love to come down for Elvis Week. I don't know if it's going to happen for Elvis Week because I'm getting married two weeks after Elvis Week, and I don't know how much time I can take off work. <laughs> right. You just uh, go have to find some more time somewhere. <laughs> but. Uh, but yeah, that, I, I can't wait to uh, to come check out the Tiger Man Dojo and um, and all that and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, well, we we have some incredible events scheduled for Elvis Week 2022, and all that information is at TigerManMuseum.com. And we have some. I can't wait for Jimmy Rogers Snow, who was man, he was Hank Snow's son, and he was friends with Elvis and performed on a lot of those 1955 early shows. Right. He would ride to the concerts with Elvis, Scotty, and Bill. So Jimmy has told us stories, man, that no one has ever heard. And he said he can talk for hours. Well, we're going to have him talking at the Tiger Man on Friday night. I got to figure out a way to get down there for that. August the 12th, I believe, is that Friday night. Man, it's going to be incredible. That would be the most awesome thing. I've got I've got to figure out a way to get out there for Elvis. Oh man, we have a movie night. Listen at this, Jake. 
August the 11th. Uh, the August, August 12th, 1977, 45 years ago, Elvis took Lisa Marie and his girlfriend, Ginger Alden, to the movies. It would be Elvis's last movie of his life. They saw Roger Moore, the spy who loved me. Well, a few months ago when I was in Memphis, I located that theater. The theater is still there, the Southbrook 4 Theater. Wow. The owners of the theater are going to allow us to show The Spy Who Loved Me, starring Roger Moore, in the same theater that Elvis saw his last movie, that movie, 45 years later. We're doing it 45 years later to that date. On August the 11th at 11 p.m., we're going to be there until the early mornings of Friday, August the 12th, just like Elvis was in August 12th, 1977. And the fans are going to see an Elvis movie like Elvis would have saw a movie. We're going to go in the back door of the Southbrook Fourth Theater, just like Elvis did that night. That's awesome. That's, gosh, all these cool things. And it's like, I'm, I'm, what you're making me want to do is quit my job and then just figure it out after Elvis week. <laughs> hey, do it, do it, man. Hey, you can find a job somewhere. Yeah. All right, don't take my advice, man. <laughs> um, but getting back to how I became an Elvis, uh, doing these YouTube shows. So that was my first day with Billy. We find the ambulance. The second day, guess what we do? This ain't no lie. We go to Tupelo, Mississippi. Billy always says that's one below Tupelo, whatever he says. He's a jokester. <laughs> he always gives me on it. And uh, anyway, <laughs> we're in Tupelo, Mississippi. We're we're doing a story about where is Elvis's twin brother, Jesse Guerin, Presley buried. So we went to this other cemetery uh, that we had learned about, that perhaps he could be there because that's where Orville, Orville Bean, where um, Vernon Presley's, um, the guy that Vernon worked for, that's where he's buried at. And there's speculation, perhaps, that Orville allowed Vernon and Gladys to bury Jesse Guerin there on their grave plot. Okay? So we're out there at his grave site, Billy and I, and we have both of our cameras rolling. And this man was out walking there in the cemetery, this older gentleman. And uh, he walked over to us asking, hey, what are you guys doing? And we told him about, you know, the story, Jesse Guerin and Elvis and stuff. And we talked, Jake, for like 20 minutes, man. And all of a sudden he was like, well, you guys know that I have a uh, one of Elvis's history, history book from elementary school. And he uh, signed it. And oh, we looked at each other and like, no, we don't know. We didn't know that, man, you know. <laughs> He said, well, what, well uh, do y'all want to see it? Uh, yeah. So he got, he got in the Great Ghost with us. We took him back home, which was like not even half a mile away from the cemetery. He goes right back to the back, brings in the, this old history book, American history book that Elvis had there at, um, at the uh, Milam Elementary, not Milam, but Lawhorn, I believe, elementary school there in Tupelo. And the story that he told us was, he had Elvis's same teacher about six or seven, eight years later, right? Mm -hmm. And one day she was passing out old books, giving them away to students. And what she did was she just went, went down the rows of the desk and put like two books on each student's desk. Well, he got lucky and had that book. Elvis signed the very back of the book. This is the property that like, the book belongs to the property of, Elvis Presley. It's his signature when he's like 10 years old, 11 years old. Wow. 
everything adds up. It's an incredible story. There's a lot more to the story that you get to hear when you come to the Tiger Man because that book now is in the Tiger Man Karate Dojo and Museum as well. That's my second day with a spa guy. We find the ambulance, and then we find probably the earliest Elvis signature that's not in Graceland. Wow. On my second day. So after that, Billy said, Trey, you're, you're good luck. And I've been riding around with Billy. I, I'm, I'm his assistant, uh, his sidekick. He says, I'm, I'm, Bill, I'm like, I'm Robin to his Batman, I guess. <laughs> and I like, I like being Robin. Robin was cool. Robin is Batman cool. was cooler, but Robin was cool as well. Well, I, I'm, that's another thing I'd like to do is uh, take those tours that you guys do. Um, I've seen, you know, videos of them and I'm like, man, I got to, I, I want to be there. Cause like you said, there's something I, I share this. We have this in common. I have this, when I really, really get interested in something, I have a burning desire to go to the places to experience as much as I can and to see uh, with my own eyes, uh, sites that the person saw or like you said I, I i completely relate to wanting to go eat in a restaurant where elvis ate or walk walk down uh, through a hallway he walked through or all those sorts of things are things i wanted to do my whole life and uh, you can imagine i've never made it to uh graceland and i've had this burning desire to go there for a long time <laughs> um yeah. i i'm really excited about for, for me personally, I'm just really excited to get a chance to see some of these things. Like I said, I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be here in just a few months. Yeah, it will be. And like, you know, you, you definitely have to go see Graceland, man, but Memphis, Tennessee was Elvis's place. Right. And Elvis is all over Memphis. And to learn his true story, you have to also go outside of Graceland. And that's, I believe where myself and the spa guy comes along because we have, uh, man, some of the, I've met some people that, has the incredible stories with Elvis growing up around neighborhoods there in Memphis and, and drug and drug stores, a uh, little where they would go and eat, uh, have milkshakes in the back, uh, just all kind of just cool things that just a normal person would have done back then. And Elvis did them too, because he was just a normal guy. Yeah. You know, at this point in his life. And I, I just love finding these locations and standing there knowing the history that took place there once upon a time when Elvis was there. Uh, it's just a, I'm just fascinated by that. And, um, I'm, you know, like you said, you, you enjoy that as well. So I'm sure there's a lot more people like us out there that, uh, enjoy the same thing. Um, so I know that you are friends with, um, Dean Nicopolis and I know that you knew Dr. Nick Elvis's personal doctor. Uh, could you tell us, how you met Dean and uh, when that was, how, how, how did that friendship form? It just all just naturally happened. I was there at Graceland for the candlelight vigil, probably my first year up there, 2009. And uh, I'm across the street when, you know, the, the diehard Elvis fans will know what I'm talking about across the street at the old restaurants and the old Elvis radio that was all just right there across the street before they tore it all down and, made it real corporate now, but, uh, uh, I was in the restaurant over there getting, I could probably going to order me a banana sandwich. Like everybody, when you first become an Elvis fan, you think <laughs> that's, all, that's all he ate. Right. So anyway, I was in line and I started chatting with this guy that was behind me and, uh, he was an interesting character cussed ever two words, pretty funny fella. But, uh, <laughs> we started talking and he learned from where he learned where I was from Aniston, Alabama. 
And he said, well, man, you need to come out here after we eat and meet my friend who I'm with, Dean Nicopolis. He worked for Elvis and his dad was Dr. Nick and Dr. Nick grew up in Aniston. And of course, you know, I knew of Dr. Nick and everything. I said, yeah, I'd love to meet Dean. So uh, he went, uh, took me out and introduced me to Dean. Dean learned where I was from. We started talking and we've been uh, great friends ever since. Uh, he and he took me up that night. He stood in line for, for the candlelight vigils. The only time he's done that since. And he and I and his other buddy went up to Elvis's grave. And I got to hear firsthand stories the whole time, whole three hours we're waiting from Dean of stuff that took place right here and right there. And Elvis driving his studs up that uh, grass there in the middle. He, he said, Dean said he rarely took the road all the way up there. He would just drive that thing off the road up that grass embankment in front of Graceland to park. So, you know, I got to hear cool things like that that night and then Dean uh, uh, introduced me to his dad, Dr. Nick, the next day. And I, I got to ride around in Dr. Nick's Cadillac all over Memphis. And Dr. Nick broke every rule in a book driving. <laughs> it was unbelievable. And I was like, well, he's Dr. Nick. <laughs> yeah, I got, yeah. He, no, you know how like an older guy, just like the rules don't exist to them driving anymore. Right. I mean, running red lights, going 90, I mean, going up a runway street. Dr. Nick did it all. You're, so <laughs> it you're was like great. mildly afraid for your life, but you're fascinated by the stories you're hearing. I was just like, man, I'm with Dr. Nick. I'm, you know, and, and I had been talking to him and he was from Anniston. His mom and dad had a, here in Anniston where I'm at, his mom and dad had a really famous Greek restaurant that was very popular called Gus's. And Dr. Nick lived upstairs of that restaurant. And then he became a football star at Anniston High School down here. He played, he was a really good football star, Dr. Nick. I've seen his pictures. I went and got his yearbook, and I was able to send him pictures of his yearbook and everything to him before he passed away. And I found articles of Dr. Nick scoring like two, three touchdowns in games and things like that. So Dr. Nick, Dr. Nick was athletic back in the day. He still was because, you know, he played racquetball and, that's how Elvis got involved in doing that and stuff. And, uh, but Dr. Nick was just a, you know, you hear the stories that are painted about Dr. Nick and a lot of fans probably listening to this have believed what uh, Gerardo Rivera have painted in 1978. They, uh, they threw the camera on Dr. Nick at his office one afternoon. They, they sat, they sabotaged him. What happened was, uh, he was going to be interviewed about something else about Elvis and uh, and Rivera kind of played him and then threw the camera on action in his face. And that first question was about, you know, uh, Dr. Nick, how many pills that he um, prescribed and stuff. And that's that footage that you have of Dr. Nick where he's kind of like, he don't know what to say, you know, and that because yeah. I mean, he had a camera thrown right in his face with a softball question just out, you know, out of it. And that started everything, unfortunately, for Dr. Nick. And um, the Dr. Nick that I knew, though, man, like, I'll tell you this. I, I went, I would go visit him at his house, and I would sit there, and we would talk. And he would start talking about Elvis, of course, at some point. He would tell me some things. And he would tear up, man. Like, Dr. Nick would, would tear up. And I would see this, and I would feel his emotions. And he told me, he said, one time that really stands out, he said that he would have to go every after every show, 
I had to go in the back of the airplane with Elvis in his room. He wouldn't let no one else come in there because he just would want to talk to me. And he never would, he never thought he had a great show. He said that he always thought that he never ever was good enough for the fans that night for some reason. So Dr. Nick said, I would sit there and I would tell him how great he was that night. You know, if the show was real good, you know, I would tell him what the good points that he did and everything and how the fans reacted to him. But he said, one night I did mess up because I tried to prove a point to Elvis. And, and what Dr. Nick told me was that he had, um, he had filled Elvis some um, placebos with, with, uh, with sugar and given them to Elvis before the show. And Elvis was thinking that he was taking some kind of medication that he was was taking. And uh, Dr. Nick said that Elvis took that, that placebo, went and had the best show that he had ever had in his life. And he said, well, I was going to prove a point to him. And it's the worst mistake I made, I think, because I told Elvis, I said, man, Elvis, you see, I was right. And Elvis was like, what are you talking about? He said, you know, I was right. I've been telling you, you don't need those pills. And you just proved that tonight because you had the best show I've ever seen you play and you didn't have to take anything. And Elvis said, well, what are you talking about, Dr. Nick? You gave that to me. And he said, no. And then Dr. Nick told him what he did. He said, after that, Elvis questioned everything that he had, he did after that. And he said he thought about it and, it, you know, he got tears in his eyes because he said that, you know, that's the worst thing that mistake he ever made with Elvis. And because after that, Elvis questioned everything. Elvis made him show him the bags, shows him the medications and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, by Dr. Nick telling me that and the Dr. Nick that I knew who would make me call him before when I made it home from Memphis, which is over a five hour drive to make sure that I made it there safely. And the Dr. Nick that I talked to and saw how he talked with people. I mean, he was a very nice man, respectful. Uh, he was a jokester. He liked to joke around. Um, but he was a caring guy. That's what I got from like just my friendship in five years with him. And so I know there's no doubt about it that this guy tried tried the best that he could with Elvis Presley. I think he got over his head at a certain point, and I know he did. But Dr. Nick was a loving person, and there, there was no way in the world that Dr. Nick was going to quit because he loved Elvis. Elvis, he told me Elvis was like his son, like Dean. And I believe in my heart because he told me that he had the guys there intercepted packages that Elvis was getting from other people. Uh, a G GK had called him actually the day before I was there. He was telling me this. He said, George Klein had talked, called him yesterday and was, was very so upset because he had learned that that doctor in Vegas, I think Gunham or some uh, Dr. Gunham. Mm -hmm. Gunham. He said that Dr. Uh, GK had told him the day before that they had learned that Gunham was somehow kin to Osama bin Laden. Wow. And Dr. Nick said that Elvis was getting these packages and these yellow envelopes. And he said, I had everybody op eyes open for those packages so we could try to intercept them. And he said, we did a good job. He said, we intercepted them. And, you know, I'd had the guys put sugars in the placebos and give them to Elvis and Elvis would be happy. So, I mean, I mean, Dr. Nick was doing this stuff. And, you know, I think it, it speaks volumes, man. If you go and if you talk to Billy Smith, if you talk to... Um, Sam Thompson, if you talk to Dick Grove, if, 
if you talk to Red West, if you talk to George Klein, if you talk to Diamond Joe Esposito, if you talk to Jerry Schilling, all of these guys, man, they take up for Dr. Nick. There has to be a reason. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, in everything I've ever read and everything I've ever seen, all of the guys um, liked Dr. Nick. All of them spoke highly of him. Mm-hmm. All of them said they felt he got a bad rap. And they scapegoated that man. I mean, you know, the, the public needs a scapegoat. And Dr. Nick was the easiest target. All those other doctors, we know their names now, but those other doctors who were giving Elvis whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted it, those doctors are, many of them, at least to the, the public at large, are, are nameless, faceless. And it was Dr. Nick who was left holding the bag on that. And I think it's obvious for anyone who does any real research um, like you guys have done and to a lesser extent, the research I've been doing in my life, uh, I think it's pretty obvious that Dr. Nick was not um, the villain that they wanted to paint him out to be um, and that he was the scapegoat. And it's very sad. And and I I hate it for, I hate it for Dean Nicopolis uh, to have to hear those sorts of things about his father, because uh, they, they were friends with Elvis. He was there. Dean was Memphis Mafia. They, they, they loved Elvis, and to have to hear those sorts of things must must be uh, still to this day uh, a difficult pill to swallow. Um, knowing that we, we know that Elvis, we have a better understanding now than we have ever had about Elvis's problems. Elvis had serious health problems. Many of them he had his whole life. They caused him uh, an almost unimaginable amount of pain and suffering. And uh, his, his need for prescription medication was legitimate at first, but we know that Elvis went overboard. We know that um, the last three years of his life as his health really deteriorated, that some of it was exacerbated and sped up by the misapplication and abuse of the prescription medications. We know that they tried to intervene and that he fired people that tried to intervene. We know that Elvis was his own man and that you couldn't say uh you you couldn't tell elvis presley how to live his life um and i think that so many people just assume that elvis was surrounded by uh people that didn't care about him and if you read the the books or you talk to any of these people you see these documentaries you know that's just not the case Um, right everyone loved elvis they tried to help elvis um I think one of the, and you know, I didn't know these individuals, but I think one of the saddest stories in the whole thing is uh, what happened with Red and Sonny. And I know Red and Sonny, of course, had their own reputations, but those guys tried to help Elvis. And that was the real reason I think they were let go. Well, Um, man, I, I, um, right here, I have in my hand, I just finished reading Elvis from Memphis to Hollywood by Alvin Fortas. He was one of the Memphis Mafia guys that I had never really learned his story about. So I just was able to read his book. He takes up for Dr. Nick in his book. Alan Fortas and Marty Lacker both. If you go read Marty Lacker's book from 1980 or 81, right during that time where the memory is still fresh that uh, Marty writes a book, they talk about Elvis doing, uh, abusing the pills long before Dr. Nick ever came into their life. So if Elvis was doing that years before, it didn't start with Dr. Nick. Dr. Nick came in, and I'm sure at some point Dr. Nick saw 
what was going on. And I'm sure he tried his best to control that situation. Right. I, th- I think it can, I, I don't know if abusing would be the correct term, but we certainly know now that he was taking sleeping medications before the army. Yeah. Um, and, and we know what happened when he got to the army and, and what he was introduced to there. And of course I always have to do the disclaimer for anyone listening. Trey certainly knows this. Um, any, any serious Elvis fan knows this Elvis did not do uh, illicit street drugs. Elvis was very anti-drug Elvis was uh, addicted to prescription medications. Um, and, and he never fully grasped how dangerous they could be because one, there were a couple of errors. Elvis carried a, phys- a physician's desk reference with him everywhere, and he studied it, and he really, really thought that he, um, I think Elvis really thought he knew a lot more uh, than he did. I think he really had it, thought he had it under control. He's a smart guy. He can look this stuff up. Yeah, well, um, Dr. Nick said that, Dr. Nick said that Elvis was, was brilliant. He, he said that, you know, the guy knew, he, he knew his stuff. He knew his stuff, and he 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 could talk about medicines, medications, and things just like like doctors, <laughs> you know. And but, but he said that you know, for Elvis was a really 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 smart person. He really truly was. And and you can tell that the guy was. You can tell that this person. I, that's why I love the documentary The Searcher so much, is because of the title. But you can tell that that's what Elvis was that he was always searching for uh, meaning in his life. He was always thinking this is a brain that was actively engaged at all times. Um, uh, And I think that I can only speak from my own experience here. Um, As someone who in the last few years has dealt with some chronic uh, health concerns that I didn't have even five years ago. And I've had to start taking more prescription medication that I really, really would like to get off of and not have to take every day. Right. I can, I can say that I still have days where even when I'm taking my medicine, I'm taking it appropriately, the issues are still present. And I am not doing hundreds of shows and having to live my life as Elvis Presley and having to have all of the pressures of, providing for my entire family and all of my friends uh, and the burdens that he carried. So, and, and his health was much, much worse than mine. Um, so I can only imagine. And, you know, uh, I love the walk a mile in my shoes song. That's one of my favorite Elvis songs. And I can only imagine, you know, it's, it's sad to talk about this stuff because Elvis was a person and, and the last three years of his life, they certainly don't define him to me. I know they don't define him to you or nope. uh, to Billy. They don't. They don't define him to any of his friends or family. Uh, but, but it it is what happened. Um, Elvis was a, Elvis Presley was a human being like you and like me and everyone listening. He was a human being that uh, became a global superstar. And the sad part about Elvis, of course, though, is you know, and Dean told me this. Dean said that. Elvis didn't think he would be remembered. And yeah. he said that. He would tell that to Dean. That they, man, you know, after I'm gone, I mean, what, three, four years, they're not going to remember me. And look here, all the 45 years later, here we are talking about the guy because he had a fascinating life. 
And when you start to learn about him, just like I did when I saw him kiss those 42 women, two and a half minutes, <laughs> I wanted to learn more about this guy. And then you want to learn more. And then you find about about him shooting out televisions if he didn't like who was on TV. I thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever heard in my life. That is and so he would buy everybody hilarious. TVs. He would buy everybody, I mean, cars. I mean, the, the, the stories just go on and on. And like I tell people, people will come in on my videos that, hey, man, I, I'm becoming a fan because of your show. Well, I said, well, get ready because you're just going to want to become more and more of a fan because you're going to be wanting to learn more and more and more about this guy. And, uh, you know, Billy and I, I can tell y'all, me and Billy, spa guy, are about the real, R-E-A-L, real Elvis Presley. And what I mean by that is what we put on these shows, we are trying our best to be as accurate as possible because we were not there. But we do our research and we put Elvis in these places and we try to find stories from people that were there that have that firsthand account, early on account, when it first happened of Elvis. And uh, we're about the real guy. And of course, like you said, those last three years, but that's a part of his life. And, you know, they need to be discussed. He had health problems, no doubt about it. And then he had other problems, uh, like a lot of people have um, in the world. And, you know, Elvis had one job, and he had one job, and that job was to be Elvis Presley. And I just wish, I just wish at some point he could have, he could have just been stayed clean, I guess, uh, early on. He didn't have to feel like he needed that stuff to sleep in the army and stuff like that. I just wish he could have just, if his mom would have lived, I think it would have been a little differently. I, I do too. And you know what I mean? He just, we don't know. We don't understand how big he got. We don't understand, I guess, what it's like for have every single person in this world wanting to be around you and wanting to talk to you and take pictures with you and every girl imaginable in love with you. I mean, we don't understand that, you know, and Elvis got to experience that. And I'm sure it was fun there in the early years, but as he got older, I'm sure it just grew on, on him. And, you know, I think that led to depression. I think that led to him staying more secluded upstairs and just having a few of the guys around like he did. And in the later years, really only a few people uh, there, you know, Dean was sleeping up there three nights a week. You know, Dean's one of Dean's funny stories is uh, he uh, was sleeping up in uh, Dean was sleeping up in Lisa Marie's bedroom. Um, and on call that night and Elvis slept walk and came and got in the bed with Dean <laughs> and Elvis, and Dean was like, he woke him up. Dean woke up cause Elvis was like, um, uh, move your ass over or something <laughs> like that, you know? And uh, Dean was like, Oh, boss, boss. You know, he called him boss. Uh, and yeah, so he, Dean said, I had to get him up out of the bed and walk him back to his, um, his room and they kind of laughed about it the next day but elvis came and got in bed with dean that night that night on accident of course <laughs> god love it <laughs> those stories like that man that we love to learn about and love to share to the elvis fans because it makes elvis a human right. he was a southern guy and i think that's why i like him because i'm from alabama he's from mississippi and uh, memphis and uh he was just like me that just kind of became a superstar you know and you know what it's it's so interesting um, when you you talk about uh, how uh, Doctor Nick would would tell the stories about how Elvis 
Uh, and of course I've read this before myself about how Elvis really, uh, especially around the time he hit 40, he was really struggling, uh, sort of with an existential crisis about, you know, he was always concerned about what does it mean that I'm Elvis Presley, that I was chosen by God to be Elvis Presley. And, and is anyone going to remember me? Am I wasting, am I not doing what I'm here to do? Um, you know, and, uh, it's, and, and t- speaking of authenticity, and of course, you guys striving to tell the real story. Um, and, and we know that the upcoming movie is going to probably have some wild things in it that aren't true. But one thing that uh, really impresses me about the trailer that we've seen is it includes that line where you can hear Elvis say, I'm going to be 40 soon and no one's going to remember me. And when I first saw the trailer, I mean, I had a lot of thoughts, but that line actually brought a tear to my eye because I know at least that sentiment is accurate. Um, Elvis was deeply concerned about his legacy and what he was doing. And I think that never in a million years would he think that uh, you and I would be doing this podcast. <laughs> 45 yeah, imagine if Elvis back then when he was thinking that could have seen into the future of me and the spa guy traveling the country to stand on stages that he performed or to go up to a hotel room that he stayed, or to <laughs> or to tell the story about him shooting a television out when Robert Goulet popped up on screen. Which is hilarious, because, you know... Because he don't like him. Yeah, I mean... Hey, I'd hey, probably... and I'll tell you one thing, man. They better be glad, you know, today Elvis would be shooting a lot of computer screens out with some of the stuff <laughs> that pops up about him. I mean, some, inter, you know, things that pop up on some of these YouTube shows now, he'd be shooting screens left and right. He, he would definitely be shooting screens. Um, I think Elvis would have absolutely um, been thrilled with some of the technology. I think he would have absolutely <laughs> loved, uh, um, you know, the Internet. And I mean, he would have definitely had calls to shoot screens out. But I yeah. think he would love the Internet. He would have loved the advances in music and, uh, you know, having iPods and things later in life that he could play so much music on. Um, It'd be amazing to just see how he would have adjusted to the eighties, nineties, two thousands. And now, I mean, it'd be, I, I, I really think at some point he'd have tried to rap. I mean, I, I, I would not rule anything out. What I here, here's, and since you brought this up, I'll, I'll try to, I'll kind of um, transition this way. This is, one of the things that I like to do is I call it Elvis daydreaming. And what that is, is I ponder, I let myself ponder, uh, what if, what if August 16th, 1977 had gone a different way? And what if Elvis had survived? What are the things that would have happened? And I know there's probably some general things that all of us, uh, think about, I, you know, I think about songs. I wish that he had finally gotten a chance to sing. And, but I think that he would have, uh, a couple of things. One, I think if he had just lived five or six more years and been able to see the rise of Michael Jackson as a solo star, I think that those are two individuals that could have helped one another tremendously. Um, I think he could have mentored Michael Jackson. I think Michael Jackson and he could have I think that could have been a special friendship. I think there could have been duets that came out from that. Yeah. Um, I think in the nineties, we, I, I just duets in general, wouldn't it have been wonderful to have Elvis duets? Um, <laughs> I, I think it would have been great to hear Elvis do 
I, I love Moody Blue. Uh, Moody Blue is one of my favorite Elvis albums. And I loved it when he did country music. So I would have liked to have heard some of his spin on late 80s, early 90s country music. Yeah. Uh, I, I do think eventually, if he was still performing, he would have tried his hand at, um, like you say, like different forms of music. Um, and it would have been interesting to see what happened. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know what, what, what a 60 year old Elvis trying to rap would have sounded like, or having a rap artist on his music, but I can see it happening. Um, I could see it happening because I think Elvis was a competitive person. Right. He would have wanted to. And he, somebody would have said something <laughs> in a rap song that Elvis couldn't do this or something. And he would have taken that as some kind of challenge. Because, uh, I mean, Elvis was the Elvis was rock and roll. Elvis was what you see now. All these uh, 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 musicians, rappers. Uh, um, uh, what's his name? Um, Jay-Z. And, right. Uh, what? Uh, What's the one that's going with Kim Kardashian now? That's going, oh, they're going crazy. That's Kanye, 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 West. Kanye West. Kanye West. I just watched a Kanye West documentary on Netflix, which I recommend, and uh, it was pretty fascinating because I had never paid attention to Kanye West up until now, watching this documentary. But like Kanye West, uh, they're all doing what Elvis did. Elvis started because Elvis was the one wearing the shades. He was the right. one wearing the necklaces. He was the one wearing the uh, rings on his finger. Absolutely. He's the one that had all the women going crazy. He was the man. He he was he was the first one. Yep. He was the first one now they're all copying him in some style. So yeah, it would have been interesting to see the the 80s and Michael Jackson rising up and how would that put a little fuel on Elvis's fire, you know? Well Imagine the girl is mine being a duet between Michael and Elvis and not Michael and Paul. Mm, yeah. Cause I, that's Michael Jackson would probably want Elvis more than anyone at that, you know? And I just, I, I, I think, um, and Michael Jackson, man, he was another one that was just had all those personal problems, you know, that just couldn't. Yeah. So, didn't, ha didn't handle the, how big he got. Cause he became a mega superstar. And the and we only, don't, we don't know what that does to you. The only person who would have had a, a, a even an inkling, um, really, uh, because you know the, the Beatles had each other. Like, so the only person that would have had an inkling, an understanding that would have been a s somewhat similar experience to Michael Jackson was Elvis. Yeah, and, and that's know, I don't why, know if you're I, a sports fan or anything, but I'm a big, oh, definitely. I, I'm, I'm a big Michael Jordan fan. Me too. And I've made a video out there about you know was Elvis and Michael Jordan's fame similar. And um, Bob Green wrote a book called Hang Time in the early 90s about Mike, his, you know, he got to spend like a few months with Michael, right? Very great book. Well, Bob Green's a huge Elvis fan. And there's a chapter in there where they talk about Elvis. And he asked Michael Jordan because Bob told Michael that he's always thought that the superstardom that Michael is having and the fame is very similar to what Elvis had there in 1956 when he skyrocketed to the top charts. So, you know, Michael Jordan in hang time is talking about, you know, I like Elvis, you know, Elvis was a little before his time. He said, but he said he always enjoyed his music and things yeah. like that. And then Bob Green was like, well, you know, Elvis came through that same door that you come through in Chicago stadium back in 1975. And Michael thought that was cool. Just like we think. So yeah, you have Michael Jordan saying, yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, but what I was getting to with Michael Jordan is they just had that last dance documentary last year. Oh yeah. It's a great documentary. 
And one of the episodes is kind of about the fame of Michael. And there was a very compelling scene that I highly recommend if anyone wants to know what Elvis probably was feeling. There was a scene of Michael alone in his hotel room. Camera came in there with him and hung out. And he's just laying on a couch. And he's telling the cameraman that this is his life. And he said that if it ended today, he'd be happy. And he said, because he said, no one knows what it's like to be me 24-7. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm stuck in this room. And then because, you know, they, they, ride, they ride with him down in the elevator. And he, the elevator opens up and there's 5,000 people that won't want to get to him. You know, right. so when I watched that, I was like, that's what Elvis dealt with, man. And that's why he secluded himself just like Michael was doing here. And Michael was like, man, I'm ready for this to end. I'm ready for this to end. And when he retired from basketball, you, you know, he stayed away from everything. MJ did, you know, because he, he don't care. He didn't care for that kind of life. Right. Where, you know, he had to be on all the time. And uh, Elvis had to be Elvis all the time, man. And there's just probably no way you can do that. And, and you know, and I agree. And going back to Michael Jackson, uh, you know, I, th- I, th- I think I told you this off air, but the reason I love Elvis is because Elvis was my dad's hero. Right. And my dad was my hero. So when, you know, when I wanted to know my hero's hero, and that's, you know, that's why I got interested in uh, Jesus. And that's why I got interested in uh, Elvis. And Elvis. Um, and, you know, at, when I was, when I, I love, I always loved Elvis as a kid, but when I was growing up, um, really about the time I hit middle school, Michael Jackson sort of became my Elvis. Um, and I really loved Michael Jackson and, and I don't, I really don't talk about it as much as I used to because Michael Jackson's death impacted me the way that Elvis's death impacted my father, which is to say he never got over it. Yeah. Um, it changed his life in, in, one one thing, I, I may have told you this before, but one thing I've always wanted to do, and I, I'm interested to share this with, with our listeners here, um, there are so many parallels, I think, between what happened with Elvis and what ended up happening with Michael Jackson. And I think that those parallels are unmistakable. I I don't think there was anything nefarious or or anything about his marriage to Lisa Marie. I think, I think it was misguided. This, this is me as an outsider. I don't know these people. Uh, I think it was misguided, but I think it was misguided because both of them were sensing a connection to Elvis through their union. Um, and I, I just think there's such a powerful connection between the stories and ultimately even what happened to Michael Jackson. And if you look in that case, I, I, I don't think that, um, Dr. Conrad Murray is uh, nearly as as innocent as Dr. Nick was, <laughs> you know. Right. I, I think Dr. Conrad Murray probably probably deserved and earned his jail time, but th- there's so so many parallels. And yeah, what and what happened? And hold your thought. And what happened, man? When when that happened, that doctor got all this stories in the news, and who did they also include in the stories? They included Dr. Nick. They sure did. They compare sure. Dr. Nick right to that guy. They and surely did. And, and Dr. Nick had to read this stuff. Didn't have to read this stuff. 
And there you go. Another thing that the media painted back in 78. That's always been believed and will always be believed. Uh, yep. That how evil a doctor this Dr. Nick was. <laughs> yeah. And that, that was my first thought when Michael Jackson died. My first thought, because I was, I was sitting on my bed. Um, I had heard the news on the way home. I was devastated. I got home. I, I turned on the news because I, I was thinking to myself, it's not real until I see it on CNN, you know. I turned the news on and which I mean that's kind of an ironic statement now. I don't <laughs> too much trust anything I see on the news yeah. days. But at the time, you know, I'm thinking, well, I have to see it at a legitimate news source, you know. Yeah. So I cut on the, the TV and I see it. And you see the images of the, the fans outside the hospital, the images of Michael Jackson's uh, body being taken in, in that helicopter. Yeah. And I, I've got tears streaming down my face and my dad comes in and he puts his arm around me and he says, buddy, I know how you feel because this is how I felt on August 16th, 1977. He said, wow, this, this is what ha- this, this was me. This is what happened with me. Um, my dad had been at, a, I think it was an, an early scrimmage. I believe he said for his high school's football team. Um, he used uh, he had graduated in 1966, but he used to go watch the, the uh, scrimmage games um, and all of the regular season games at his high school. And I believe that's where he said he was on August 16th when he heard the news, um, either watching a scrimmage or watching uh, practice, some, something like that. And um, he said, you know, it changed his life. But I really, if I, if I could write a book, um, and it's something I've been doing research on for a while, but if I could write a book one day, it would be about the, the parallel triumphs and tragedies of Elvis and Michael Jackson and how both of them represent the best parts of the American dream and some of the more tragic elements of the American dream. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be fascinating. And one of the great near misses of history is that Elvis dies five years before the release of Thriller. And, I, and obviously we know that Elvis knew uh, the Jacksons, uh, had met them in Vegas and stuff, but, but he didn't quite live long enough to see Michael become what Michael became. Right. Um, and, and, and Michael, the kid was, to me was cool. Like he was, I, when he died, I started listening to some of those early songs of his and I was like, man, he was good. <laughs> so good. He and, was so good, you know? And, and, uh, uh that I, re- I actually, I recorded that full day on, on tape and, uh, made DVDs of it. Uh, the, I mean, I, I think I, I want to... I knew we were experiencing something, you know, just like Elvis, like you said, I, I knew this was historic. Right. I want to say that I, I want to say that I popped in a VHS tape and, and, and tried to record some of it. I want to say I did that too. Um, because I was, I was flabbergasted by it. You know, I mean, my, my overwhelming sense for most of the day besides sad, I, I was sad, but I was just like floored and, a friend of mine had called and was like, Hey, you know, I heard about Michael Jackson. I just want to reach out and see how you were doing. And I was like, well, you know, I'm sad, but as I take stock of this for a moment, I can't say that I'm shocked because these Elvis parallels have always been here. Yeah. He is, he's gearing up for another, uh, another major tour. Um, and, and, and then, and then he's gone. And I mean, the, the deja vu, it's so and, crazy. Yeah, and Jake, he dies right across the street from where Elvis lived. Wow. 
Yeah, they are. Me and Billy covered it. Um, Spy Guy has an episode of it. Elvis lived in one of one of his um, uh, Beverly Hill or Bel Air house. House was right across the street from where Michael Jackson's mega mansion. Billy flew over it. It's unbelievable uh, how big. So you can see Michael Jackson's house where he died on the on the Spy Guy show there when we were out there filming. When there, well, I think it's Munner. I can't tell Munnerval Munnerrail or something's house. Um, but yeah. Literally across the street, Michael Jackson died. Uh, was it was it Montevale? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, Montevale. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I did not know. I knew about that. I knew where Elvis lived on Montevale, but I did not know that that was that close yeah. to where Michael. That was there, man. It literally across the street. Uh, Billy flies a drone. You need to. You'll go watch it tonight. Now I know. Absolutely, but man. That house. I, I was sitting there watching the monitor, and I'm thinking, how how do you even know where to go in that house? I mean, the the house was. You just got to go watch it to see. It's unbelievable. <laughs> so um, I'll ask you a couple of the questions that I asked Billy. Um, okay. Number one, what, who, do, who in your, in your time doing this research and talking to people that knew Elvis, uh, who has the biggest, um, who had the biggest case of the Munchausen by Elvis that, that Billy talks about? which is where they, they exaggerate their place in Elvis's life for fame or money. Um, who, who, who told the wildest tale that when you started digging into it, or even at the time you just knew it was probably mostly BS? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, I think I, I can tell you there's a, there's a nurse out there that's uh, – I don't even know what to say. Dude, I, I think I know who you're talking about because I, it might well, be Billy. I, I'll tell you. Yeah, I, I think Billy mentioned, mentioned her. Well, let me ask you this way. Was this a nurse that Elvis met when he went to the hospital in 1974? Yeah, for four minutes compared to what Dr. Nick told me. Um, and it's, I'll tell you the story. So, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's Nurse Marion uh, Cock. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she's, a, she's an awesome lady. You know, and you know, and she's an, she's an older lady, and um, but <laughs> she wrote the she pretty much wrote the first book about Elvis, and supposedly Vernon Presley gave her the only blessing out of anyone to write a book. Miss Marion Cock, a nurse, and um, anyway, so you know, she would she would be at GK's memorial event, and she would speak um, there, and. Um, one 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 year, Doctor Nick could not make the event. He was so so upset. So I, I went over there and visited him after the show, and I told him everything that happened, people that talked, and things that they said and stuff. And I, I brought up Miss Cock, and he was like, he started kind of like laughing, and he was like, "Well, what did she say?" You know? And I said, "Well, she told everybody that she was Elvis's nurse for four years." And he cut me off, and he said, "Trey, try, try four minutes." <laughs> Tish Henley was my nurse that was Elvis's nurse. Right. And uh, Dr. Nick moved Tish to Graceland to live at, to to help, to keep an eye on on Elvis pretty much. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tish was the nurse for over 10 something years. I'm not saying, you know, Miss Cox's story happened there at Baptist Memorial Hospital. uh, Elvis was on her floor. So she spent that little time there with Elvis, but her story turned into like 180 pages uh, <laughs> to a book. No, ain't no lie. I, I, find, I recently read the book 
and and dates don't add up. You see, they wrote books back in the day when we didn't have the internet. Right. I and mean, we can dig and find out financial papers and dates and records and know when Elvis actually checked out of Baptist and stuff. And then, you know, in, in one part of her section, you have to ask, she she pretty much, and me and Billy kind of like, was like, what? She kind of says that, you know, she kind of told Dr. Nick what to do. A nurse <laughs> don't tell a doctor what to do, right? <laughs> yeah. So that's, you know, it's things like that. And then there's, you know, she, she wrote the first book that Elvis called her babe. And well, the other day we really interviewed a guy that actually called Elvis babe <laughs> <laughs> because uh, he reminded Elvis, he remi- Elvis reminded Johnny, which was one of Elvis's army buddies of Babe Ruth. Mm-hmm. And cause that was uh, Johnny's favorite baseball player. So he would call Elvis babe and Elvis hated that. But then he found out why he called it, and I think he liked it. But uh, but anyway, yeah, she was she's probably up there, and um, you know, and then there's others, you know, there's <laughs> there's girlfriends, and <laughs> there's all kind of people, man. Uh, B- Billy said that he he finds um, that most of what Linda Thompson has said to be pretty pretty ac- accurate. Um. Yeah, and I've never I've never been able to meet Linda, but you know, Linda seems like she carries herself in a classy way, and um, her stories have never really changed from 1980 to 2022. A lot of people's stories changes. That's another thing. People wrote books back in the day, and then they forget what they said in their book, and the story changes. Right. Well, Elvis has been gone since '77, so he didn't come back in 1988. And the story changed somehow, you know. So it's just man, it's all kind of stuff. It's all kind of stuff. But you know, uh, and the, the thing about it is, man, if I worked for Elvis, or if I could have said Elvis was my buddy, and I had a five stories with Elvis, I would just be happy. Yep, that'd be and my. They wouldn't, those five stories would not turn into eighteen or nope. twenty-seven. Or Elvis bought me something that he really didn't buy me, and then I sold it. And made a lot of money later on in life, you know. So I would tell a lot of five stories to as many fans who wanted to listen to him, but I, I would not be adding a bunch of crap. <laughs> hey, man, because hey, if you have one story with Elvis, we we would love to hear it. Absolutely, hear it. And man, there's some there, and a lot of the guys, man. I mean, and that's another thing. Let's talk about their guy, the guys, right quick, if I can. Oh, sure. You had a, the Memphis Mafia. When I think of Elvis Presley, guys, and this is to all your Elvis fans, and some people might get mad. When I think of Elvis Presley, I automatically think of, drum roll, please, I think of Red West. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, there's Elvis and then there's Red West. And he's, yeah. he's number one Memphis Mafia, in my opinion. I mean, he was there all those early years with Elvis. Hume's High School and everything. So, you know, people people like to hate on Red because of Elvis What Happened, which is a book that I see right over here. And I've read the book, but I guess I'm reading the book in the time I'm living in. And I'm like, why does people hate this book? <laughs> you know, All right. I mean, we need this book because we get to learn about real Elvis Presley. You know, and not some fantasy version that is out there. And Red West will always be a hero to me because one of my favorite Christmas songs he wrote for Elvis. Right. Uh, why can't every day Christmas? <laughs> every day, hey, man. Red was a talented guy, man. Red had a career outside of Elvis. You know, Red 
Red stayed in and acted, and he's in a lot of great movies and a lot of great movies in the past 20 years. Elvis punched Red will pop up. <laughs> you know, I never got to meet Red. I did see Red at Dr. Nick's funeral, and uh, uh, I was sitting with GK. It was just me and GK, and nobody sat with us. It was crazy. It was like we were on the front row, and because Dean told me, hey, I could sit there, so I sat there. Uh, and GK came and sat beside me and nobody else sat with us. But Red West came over before the funeral started. He was at Dr. Nick's funeral. So that speaks volumes about Red to me. And Red uh, came over and hugged GK. And then he looked at me like, who are you kids? You know, <laughs> Red had that like look to his face like you didn't want to bother him, you know, because he, he looked like that tough guy, that persona he had. But I really, man, I, I wish that I could have got into the game when red was still here where we could have gone and hung out with red and i could have asked him i said red man tell me about biloxi mississippi man what did y'all do there you know do you remember the hack house do y'all remember shooting those shotguns out in that backyard man and i have like a million questions and red hit the road on us like a year before yeah and billy really ramped up filming episodes. him and him and sonny passed away very very uh quickly there together and then uh we lost um George Klein passed away too. Not did, didn't he? Not long after that. Yeah, GK man, GK died. GK really started going downhill about three years ago. I guess four years probably now. He started. He started um, kind of getting some dementia, yeah. and you could tell something was wrong with him. And and that last Elvis week, he was <laughs> he he had a microphone, but he probably shouldn't have had the microphone because <laughs> he was he was something else that last Elvis week. He told some stories he probably shouldn't have told. Some <laughs> were true. Uh, he had told me a few about Ann Margaret. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! He asked Elvis about Ann Margaret, and Elvis told him. And he told us he told it at an event that last year. It was awesome. Oh wow! Man, <laughs> I hate that I missed that. <laughs> I'll tell you after the air. You know, if, yeah, yeah, I might have that on film. So y'all be going on Globe Trotting with Trey. GK may tell the story in one of my episodes. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll. Uh... There's several things that I'll t- I'll make some notes and I'll have I'll have to we'll have to talk sometime off air about some of those things. But what I was saying about his guys is you know everybody wants to criticize all the guys like you know they're all bad they're all bad people but man that means that Elvis had a terrible uh, judgment of character right because well, nobody likes any of his friends right it's it's like and and none of these guys come across as bad guys to me uh, they, they 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 look they. They were in. They got to live a lifestyle that nobody got to live. Their buddy became a a, a mega superstar. Uh, Red GK knew Elvis before he was a superstar. Um, Marty Wacker, I guess, came in the picture there in the early years at some point. Um, but all of the guys, Alan Fortis, Dean, Do, uh, Dr. Nick, Dean, um. Uh, Charlie Hodge, Billy, um, Billy Smith, who's a, who has been said by many is the closest person to Elvis. I would Billy, from an early age, man. Billy was a little kid. And, you know, Billy told me because I'd asked Billy, Billy told me that even before Elvis became famous, there was just something special about him to him as a little kid. Like he was just he just had something about him. Right. And, you know, he liked that about his cousin. And then Elvis becomes a star and he's like, oh, okay, here's that something special. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah, Billy and, you know, Elvis, Billy, uh, Elvis moved Billy and Joe, his wife, um, awesome people, I love them to death, um, uh, up to the, um, to Graceland because yeah. he wanted Billy to be around, man. Billy would go talk to him. 
he needed Billy to hang out with him. I just, I, I, so that's, we're talking about, you know, how a lot of these guys have, have transitioned on us. They've moved on. And I, I really, I would really love to meet Billy Smith one day. And I'd really love to, uh, um, you know, I've, I've, I've had some, some minimal Facebook contact with, um, with, with a couple of the Smiths, but I've never been able to meet any of them. And I would really like to, and I'd really like to, I, I don't know. There are several people in this story that are less accessible, but uh, um, I really enjoyed, and I hope I hope that it was mostly factual. I've never digged into it really, but I really enjoyed Jerry Schilling's book, and I've always wanted to meet Jerry Schilling after I read his book. Yeah, I've always liked Jerry. Um, I've talked to him a few few times. Uh, actually, I heard that he uh, he's a fan of the Spa Guy. Oh, that's awesome. And he told he told um, Ronnie McDowell to let Billy know anytime me and Billy are back out there to come back to the house because we me and Billy went to his house, went to his front door and filmed. I saw that but we didn't knock. We didn't knock. I would have knocked. I'm a I saw that, and knocks. I was wondering, I was wondering if if the decision not to knock was just that just didn't want to just didn't want to bother him at that time, or yeah, I don't know why we didn't. We should have. I mean, I'm a type of dude that does it. But I guess it's because it was one of it was Jerry. We just like ah, we're not going to do that. I will. But tell if you. we would have known that Jerry thought that was the coolest thing ever, I'll tell we, you what. You, you let know, me if you're, if you're listening, man. I mean, I wish we could have hung out. We will. We we will be there one day. You let me know when that happens, and I'll strap myself to the to the hood. Yeah. Of but I like Jerry, you know. And Jerry Jerry was a younger <laughs> guy uh, that like Dean that joined the group, so he got to. Um, you know, and he still lives in the house that Elvis bought him, man. That's the greatest thing. That's such a, that's such a cool, a I would, cool story. I was, I would still live in the house if Elvis bought, bought it to me. I would still have my cars if Elvis gave them to me. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give anything away. And, you know, there, I know that there are people that when Elvis died, swooped in and, and, and swiped a few items and said, look at this great thing Elvis gave me. But these are guys that Elvis really gave stuff to and really had that relationship with. And yeah, uh, Dean, uh, Dean tells a great one. If you want me to tell a story right quick. Oh, sure. Dean. Uh, okay. So Dean got his first paycheck working for Elvis, right? Mm-hmm. So what does a young guy do with that first paycheck? He went down to buy him a car. So he goes down, he goes down to the dealership right down from uh, Graceland, which would the dealership. I'll tell you where the dealership would be today. And I haven't filmed it yet. It would be in the parking lot of the new Graceland uh, hotel. Oh, okay. Or whatever they call that thing. The, yeah, the guest house or something. The guest house. The guest house that has no pictures of Elvis. But uh, I didn't say that. I, I can't say that. <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah, that dealership would be there in that parking lot, man. I've researched it back to there. So anyway, Dean said, I'm in there. Man, I'm happy. I've picked a car out. I'm excited. I'm going there, filling out the papers. Well, one of the guys, I guess, told Elvis always wanted to know what Dean was up to for some reason, because Dean was young. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a way that Elvis could stay young, you know, just kind of living with Dean. <laughs> and uh, he loved Dean, man. People would say, you know, it, Dean was like a brother to him because Elvis always wanted to know, okay, what did Dean do last night? Where did he go? <laughs> and uh, so anyway, so I guess some of the, one of the guys told him, hey, Dean went down to buy him a car. And Elvis got some I went down to the dealership came in there when Dean was working on buying the car he took the check he said Dean this is no lie Elvis came up there and said what are you doing and Dean said what do you mean what I'm doing I'm buying me a car boss 
And he said, no, you're not. And he said he took the check and ripped the check up. And Dean was like, he said he remembered asking Elvis, are we having money problems? <laughs> and Elvis was like, no, we're not having money problems. He said, I'm buying you a car. So Elvis bought him a better car out there that day. That's Elvis Presley, guys. Yeah, that's a that's a great story. So listen at this. So listen at this. So so um Dean had that car, right? Okay, yeah. Elvis picked the car out. This was it. Elvis picked the car out. Dean loved it, bought it. He said, fast forward like three months, right? I was outside there by my car and Elvis came out there and he walked up, bought a car and he was like, damn, that's an ugly looking car. <laughs> and Dean was like, and he was like, whose car is that, Dean? Because, you know, Elvis <laughs> and uh, Dean said, that's mine, boss. You bought it for me. And, yeah, you know, Elvis kind of looked at him like, yeah, I did, didn't I? I ain't that lucky. You know, ain't that ugly. But he said, he felt that, he said, man, that was one ugly looking car. And, you know, Dean sells cars now there in Memphis. So if y'all need a car and you want to buy one from Dean, you, you know, yeah, look Dean up on, um, he works at the GMC place there. And um, uh, there somewhere in Memphis, he has a Facebook page. But Elvis always joked with D Dean because he said Dean always had like a, he, he he said Dean always was driving something different every time he saw him, right? So he asked Dean one time, he said, do you run a car lot or something that I don't know about? <laughs> you have more cars than I do. <laughs> that, um, I'll tell you what, I, I, I wasn't aware that Dean sold cars, but I, I'm, I'm the type of Elvis fan who now I'm sitting here thinking like, Oh, how quickly could I buy a car from Dean Nicopolis? You know, wouldn't that be cool, man? Dean is and and Dean guys is like the coolest. He's he's so down to earth and real. He don't make anything up. He tells you his stories and his stories don't change. And he doesn't sugarcoat nothing. I mean, you know, and he'll talk about his dad, and he'll share you know sad things and good things. You know, and and um, you know, Dean, like I said, he slept up at Graceland three nights a week, and that's another thing. You know, like. You know, somebody writing a book and, and Dean don't even know who the person is. That's a big red, red flag. Right. Me too. If they're there, if they're supposed to be there during those years, I think Dean worked there from 75 to 77 or 74 to 77, somewhere in there. But he was 18 years old when he started. You know, so he has the experience as a young, young guy uh, that Elvis was keeping an eye on because he always wanted to know what Dean was up to. I would, uh, you know, that's uh, Dean's another one. Um, there's, there's so many of these guys, uh, um, Sam Thompson, there's, there's several that I really would like to talk to or would really like to meet one of these days. Um, I, and like you said, I hate that. Um, I hate that some of the other guys have, have left us. I mean, Lamar Fike sounds like he would have been one of the most hilarious characters you could have met. I wish uh, I could have met Lamar. Yep. Um, yeah. and I didn't get to meet Lamar. I briefly saw Marty Lacker at an event. Um, I got to become friends with GK, George Klein. There's a big Marty, Marty Lacker and GK had a big falling out sometime during the years. And both of them wrote each other out of their stories and they were the best of friends. That's craziness. That's, but, that's, uh, yeah, that's a part of the Elvis world and it still happens. There's craziness that happens with me and the spa guy. So it's just, <laughs> it's just craziness all around, man. But that's what it, that's what happens when you get, deep 
in the Elvis Presley world, I guess to say. <laughs> uh, I know, I know. Um, Billy told me that uh, he said, you know, there are things I've learned that I don't necessarily talk about on camera uh, and things I've heard. And he said, when you go down the rabbit hole, not everything you hear is something that you wanted to hear. Um, yeah. Uh, sometimes you hear things that are a little disappointing or a little sad, or you wish you could kind of unhear that. Um, but it's the price you pay, I guess, for, for getting to the truth, because not every aspect of the truth is exciting uh, or, or positive. Sometimes you hear some pretty sad things. Well, you know, getting back to like uh, um, the new movie with, um, is it Baz or Boz? Uh, so Which I, one? I think, and I, I could be wrong, but I think it's uh, Boz Lerman. Boz, okay. I call I, him Baz all the time. Because Boz, <laughs> Boz, I'm sure Boz will be listening to, to this at some point, and I don't want to butcher your name, my friend. Right, so, we got to get him on but, the podcast as well. But Boz, if you are listening, man, um, you know, I hope, that you got to interview some of the people that I have, man, because I interviewed Buzzy Forbes and Farley Guy. Elvis has two buddies of his three there at Lauderdale Courts. Wow. Um, and um, Buzzy died, has died since my interview, unfortunately. And the best thing that ever happened was I got an email or a uh, message on his, his video from his, his grandson or uh, thanking, thanking me for capturing his stories because they get to enjoy them, you know, and hear, hear their granddad talk um, there on my, on, my, on my YouTube show. But man, Buzzy was able to tell me things because I, I, you know, I, I, I knew some things to ask him that I wanted to clear up. And I learned about where the triangle was. And the triangle was right across the street from the Lauderdale where the Elvis lived at. And it was like a hangout place for all the kids in the neighborhood. And they'd go out there and play football, and baseball, and hang out under trees and just a place that everybody got came together at. And uh, the triangle, I can definitely, me and, me and the spa guy, man, if you take our three-hour tour during Elvis week, you will be sitting on the triangle at some point during that tour. No wow. doubt. And But, man, that's just a place, a part of Elvis's life. And then I found Malone Pool. Malone Swimming Pool, which is like six blocks from Lauderdale, where Elvis and Buzzy and Paul Doer would walk down to and swim during the summers. It was a free swimming pool there in Memphis. I found the location of that. You will see that a part of the tour as well. Um, so hearing those stories and, and asking them about parties they went to and things they did and that little apartment, how in the world they slept there and... Um, uh, I got to learn about what Vernon, how Vernon was, and and uh, Farley Guy, um, Farley Guy and Buzzy painted Vernon in an entirely different picture than all the books that you read now. How you know they paint Vernon and uh, this not friendly person and stuff? Right. Both of his childhood friends had really good memories of Vernon Presley. You know, and they kind of say that Vernon didn't like to work and stuff. And they tell me that was, that has to be a lie. Yeah. I've never, I always just thought it was one of those things where he didn't have a specific trade or specific skill set, but, but he always worked. He took odd jobs. He, he changed yeah. jobs a lot. And maybe back then the perception of someone who switched jobs a lot or did a lot of odd jobs might have been, Oh, if he doesn't stick with one trade or one career, he's, you right. know, maybe he's a deadbeat. But I, I think that, like so many things we've talked about, 
if you do a little digging, you can see that there's pretty much not very much truth to that. Um, right. I have well, actually heard from a few people. It's interesting you mentioned this. I've heard from a, a few people um, or seen in a few a few oddball places I've looked similar stories where people said that Vernon was actually uh, kind of a fun guy. Um, I, I guess like anything else, maybe context dependent. You know, people read two sentences about somebody in a book and try to build an entire life out of it. Exactly. Barbara Hearn. I interviewed Barbara Hearn, one of Elvis's girlfriends that's in some really uh, classic Elvis 19, July 1956 pictures. She's there with Vernon and uh, Grandma and um, Gladys, Elvis's mom, there at Russwood Park, which is depicted in the new uh, Boz Lerman movie. But uh, Barbara told me the greatest memory she had was there at Alabama Avenue, the Alabama Avenue house down from Lauderdale. Uh, one afternoon, she was over there at that house uh, with Elvis and Mr. Presley was uh, and Miss Presley was on that front porch. And she said the greatest thing uh, afternoon they had was Mr. Presley walked down the street there on Alabama Avenue. So a little, a little hamburger joint, which I'm trying to locate. And uh, she said it was kind of like crystals today, those little bitty hamburgers. And right. he bought a brown sack of hamburgers back. And they sat there that e uh, afternoon on that porch and had those hamburgers. Wow. So that's a little story of Elvis right there in his Please. one afternoon in his life. Um, so before I let you go, I, cause I, you know, I don't want to take up your whole evening. Um, but before I let you go, I, w I am curious. Um, I, well, I have, I have a question and a request. Um, my question is, what um what is something that you hope um what what's something that you hope happens in the new movie or a scene that is in the, that could potentially be in the new movie um because i think all of us kind of know and we're sort of already eye rolling that the movie is going to be a, a movie and that it's going to do things wrong. And it's going to be frustrating for people who know a whole lot about Elvis, but that yeah. it probably wasn't so much made for us as, as Billy said uh, in one of his videos, you know, it's probably made more so to get people talking about Elvis. Um, but what's something that you hope to see something that might actually be there? Let me think for a second. Because there's a lot of stuff I, I would hope to see <laughs> that I've learned about. I would like to see the night depicted on screen as factual as it can be when Elvis burned up the pink Cadillac <laughs> on the side of the road in Texarkana. Yeah. Billy found the spot, man. Billy, Billy went out and drove down the spot. And he had to drive it twice uh, to to learn the area, man. That's why it's important for us to go to these locations. Absolutely. Uh, uh, to put our eyes on it. Cause you learn something while you're standing there. But anyway, if they could depict that Elvis was in a car with a, with a girl and uh, um, you know, we've learned two or three different things, man. It, and it, it just, it's, they're all strange stories because it's like Scotty and them already went ahead and they're at a restaurant and Elvis had a hitchhike to the restaurant then there's an account that they were behind Elvis and stuff. They helped him throw things off. So we don't really know exactly. 
I think Elvis, I think he, he, he hitchhiked. And the reason I think that is because uh, the guys interviewed in the paper. Yeah. You know, so Elvis and the girl hitchhiked into town and found Scotty and Bill there at a restaurant. And they left that pink Cadillac on the side of the road. So that would be a cool scene to, to be depicted. Um, something else. I, I guess I guarantee you, we, I guarantee you, we will see Elvis buying uh, many persons, uh, uh, the black lady, a Cadillac. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you that will be in it. Um, I have a feeling, <laughs> but I'm going to guarantee you that. Uh, but that would be a cool thing to depict just to show how generous Elvis was uh, uh, to the fans. I hope, uh, yeah, this is what I want. I already mentioned it. I want to see Robert Goulet's face pop up on this TV screen and get it blown off. <laughs> that would be hilarious. That The fact that it was Robert Goulet that triggered Elvis to shoot to, uh, the TV that time is just, that, that's just hilarious to me. Yeah. My, uh, movie, my movie would have that. Oh, absolutely. My movie would have that, no doubt about it. Um, yeah, those three, there's three things, man. Uh, let's get a fight. One of the, the, the fight that happened and that's not, it's not going to happen, but I learned and I filmed the location of a, a Bastroff, Louisiana fight that Elvis had with somebody in a restaurant, uh, that, you know, picked on him after, you know, called him some kind of name or something. And Elvis, you know, I think decked him. Uh, that would be cool to see, just showing how like guys reacted to Elvis because of how their girlfriends were reacting to him. <laughs> I'd like to see Elvis. Uh, uh, well, I'd like to, th- to see anything related to his karate in the movie. Um, oh man, hey, hey! If they come to the Tiger Man, that would you know <laughs> if they do it right. The movie, you know that one of those that epic picture of Elvis in the karate pose that everyone sees anytime you see a picture of Elvis. Mm-hmm. That's in our building at the Tiger Man. You can actually stand there, Jake, and take a picture right beside where Elvis was in that photo. That's 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 one of the things I'm going to have to do when I get out there. That's going to and that and that I am coming to Memphis. I'm coming to the Tiger Man. I'm going to Graceland. I'm going to I'm going to see some of these spots that I'm going to Tupelo. These things are happening. Well, and, and, you know, I hope those things are depicted in the movie. Um, I Walk the Line came out and when I was like 15 years old and I went and saw it at the movie theater and it made me a huge fan of Johnny Cash. And I went to YouTube and searched Johnny Cash. So what I think hopefully will happen is a whole new generation of fans. Cause I see my age group that watches and I'm going to watch it once the movie comes out. I hope that they stumble on spa guy or myself on YouTube. Absolutely. And I hope they join us on our journey where we really, dig into this guy named Elvis Presley and you meet Buzzy Forbes and Farley Guy and Barbara Hearn and Runny Smith, who I've become friends with now that actually got Elvis his first ever audition to play a nightclub called the Hi-Hat Club on South 3rd Street in Memphis. Incredible story. That's Learn about these people that were a part of Elvis's life. Um, and, you know, I... I really appreciate it. I appreciate your time. I, and, and I love your videos and um, I have to ask you, uh, I have my request and I also have to ask you one final question. Of course, um, my favorite Elvis song is Moody Blue. Okay. And my favorite movies uh, that I saw Elvis in were probably Jailhouse Rock and King Creole. 
So what what's your favorite Elvis song, and what were your favorite Elvis movies? All right, my favorite Elvis song has to be Bridge Over Troubled Water. Oh, man, he killed that. It was awesome. And Just Pretend. Just Pretend is also great. I sing that to my fiance a lot, and then she sings back to me. <laughs> oh, you sing it to your girl? All right. <laughs> yeah, she sings back to me. She likes that song, too. Man, it's just Elvis, man, how he sang those songs were just great, man. They. Uh, he, they were just powerful, you know. His gospel, his gospel music, man, makes you. I believe Elvis is in heaven just because of his gospel music. Oh, absolutely. He has well, to be blessed, man, by the good man above because, you know, he 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 left that and and when when you hear that gospel music, man, it's just powerful. Yeah, I can't. I you know, I, it'd be hard to imagine heaven without Elvis Presley. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Can you hear him singing? You know. Um. Yes, sir. And uh, bridge over troubled water, though. Yeah, bri- Hey, there's a bridge over. Tro- hey, when he sings that bridge over troubled water, of course. That's yeah. That bring tears to your eyes. Hey, man, it's that's powerful, man. I'll have to go watch it here in a little bit. I have to go. I have to go and relive it again. It, um, and my favorite movie, though. Mm-hmm. My favorite Elvis movie. It's, pro- it's, it's going to be a toss, man. It's, it's going to either be King Creole or Jailhouse Rock. Yeah. I, I like both of them, man, because it's like, that's real Elvis to me. He, mm-hmm. he goes off into the army and he's not a, he's a different person after that. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah, he is. Um, and a different person uh, for, for a lot of reasons, but it's so true. Those are those movies post army are different. Um, not that they were all equally terrible, but they, but they were different. Um, I, th- I do think that some of that stuff, I think, you know, my fiance was saying that when you look back on this stuff now, she's really enjoyed watching a lot of the Elvis movies, even the ones that aren't so good. And right. she says, you know, I think time has been a little kinder to them just because it's Elvis and we love watching Elvis and there's, they're sweet, funny movies, family friendly movies. Yeah. Um, and in a time period where so much of what we watch is dark and negative and, and you couldn't watch it with, with kids or whatever. Um, you can always pop in an Elvis movie. Well, you know, and, and with Elvis and his movies, you know, he, he ended up, he hated his movies, right? Hated them. (laughs) He hated them, but he, he was making money and, you know, I'm a fan of uh, Matthew McConaughey. And there was a point in Matthew McConaughey's career where he, 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 he started hating doing those romantic comedies that all you girls that are listening loved. Absolutely. He hated doing them. He didn't want to do that no more. He wanted to be a serious actor, just like Elvis. But what Matthew McConaughey did that Elvis never did do, and Elvis should have done because he was Elvis Presley, is McConaughey started turning down every script that came his way. He $12 won't. million. Dollars, $20 million. He said that he said there was an $8 million script or a $2 million script turned into 8 million. He turned down the 8 million, turned into 15 million. And it started looking a little better at the 15 million. Like this story got a little better to him when he started reading it. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, like the story <laughs> wasn't good at the 2 million, but by the 15 million, that story sounded pretty good. But <laughs> he turned it down because he said, I'm, I, I don't want to do it. And he said he knew it might've been the end of his movie career. And he said, he said they started getting the point because he started not getting calls anymore. Right. And he said a year and a half goes by and he's like, 
well, should I have done this? <laughs> you know? But what happened, man? He got a phone call. And he booked he booked uh, the Lincoln Lawler, Lawyer. Lincoln Lawyer, which was a great... I remember, because uh, I've, I've seen Matthew McConaughey talk about this. Yeah. And I remember when I saw the Lincoln Lawyer, um, I remember turning to my friend and saying, you know... I really like this. I think Matthew McConaughey should do more like this. And of hey. course, I didn't know at the time that he had been angling for that in his in, in his career, that that's what he had been trying to do. But the McConaissance was a real thing. Uh, <laughs> it ended, ended with an Oscar and, and a bunch of movies. All right, all right, all right. You know, <laughs> and, and that's the thing, Jake, man. But what, what did McConaughey do? McConaughey said, you know what? This may be the end of my career and I'll be fine with it. But... I'm going to do it my way. And he cut it off and he told his managers, no. Elvis should and could have done the same thing because it made Colonel Parker, it made Colonel Parker to folded his cards and gave, given in to Elvis and got Elvis better movie projects. And Elvis would have still been the number one selling uh, movie star out there. And we would have seen more dramatic things. And that would have changed his whole life, man, because I'm an actor myself. And this acting thing, man, yeah, you, you can get depressed because you get rejected all the time. Elvis was was not getting rejected because he was a superstar. Elvis had could have done anything he wanted to do at any single time of his career because he was Elvis Presley. And I just wish that he would have stood up more for himself, in my opinion, kind of like McConaughey did, and said, no, I'm not doing this, Colonel. I'm doing, I, I want to do this. I want to do this. And I think it would have made him so much happier. And maybe Elvis is still with us today, man. Maybe he's still with us because he had had a spark inside of him that he had to he had to stay clean. He had to stay looking looking like Elvis and being in shape. He had something to live for. You see, you know what I'm saying? And uh, the Colonel to me was awesome for Elvis. People, uh, the movie's about to make him uh, uh, the Penguin from Batman. Um, but but we know, but we know that without Colonel Parker, you don't really get Elvis the way we knew Elvis. Um, the Colonel, the Colonel and Elvis are like peanut butter, and they're they're, they're together. They're hey, right, right there. They got to go together. They're right Batman there. and Robin. But Elvis should have stood up at a certain point to the Colonel, and made the Colonel give in to Elvis instead of Elvis always giving in to the Colonel. I think that's what happened. Right. I think I think I think Elvis always gave in to the guy. And, and he never stood up for himself to make what he really wanted to happen. I wish, man, I wish Elvis was in the Barbra Streisand movie. Oh, A Star is Born. I was about to say that. I, I, and, you know, I think that the story as it was told by Sonny West and the story that it was as it was told by the Colonel uh, ultimately was that on that particular deal. And I, and I don't know if this is true. Um, but the story that I've heard is that Elvis felt intimidated by um, having to lose the weight and the, uh, the the number of lines because at that point in 1970, late 74 or 75, whenever that was, that he was not doing well health-wise and that while he was intrigued by it at first, the more that he thought about it, the more he was thinking that maybe he couldn't pull it off and that he asked 
the colonel to play hardball to the point to where they couldn't get the deal done. Now, I don't know if that's true, but either way, I think that's such a tragic moment because I think, as Jerry Schelling put it in his book, from his perspective, that was the last time really that uh, the last chance Elvis had to do something really, really special. Exactly. Uh, and it just, it didn't work out. It fell through. It, uh, yeah, something happened. I, it, it, something got to Elvis. Yeah, something got to Elvis. Ain't no doubt about it, man. I, I mean, just wish, I, I wish, because that was that one movie Elvis had been craving for all during his whole tenure there in Hollywood. <laughs> so many, so many things, you know, if you go back in time, so many different things. Imagine, imagine Elvis like Dirty Harry, like Clint Eastwood. Right. Oh, uh, and you know, that's interesting you say that because one of the things I told Billy when I did the podcast with him is in the nineties, if Elvis was alive, I can imagine maybe late eighties through the early nineties, Elvis uh, having uh, a television program where he played uh, like a badass cop of, <laughs> or detective. Oh yeah, Big Never Went Up and stuff. <laughs> oh my gosh, that would have been the the. It would have been hilarious and campy, but also badass because it was Elvis. Yeah, uh, well, you know they're they're working on something. I believe Priscilla is involved in on Netflix about a secret agent Elvis. Yes, I I saw that and I got really excited because that was one of those things that. Well, I'll tell you what, if you can stick around for just a few minutes, I would kind of like to go down this slight rabbit hole. No, I'm, I'm free, man. Let's um, okay. Priscilla, and I, I, I'm not really including Lisa Marie so much. I'm including Priscilla mostly. Um, on, and I'm just speaking from my perspective. So, I, you know, obviously I don't know any of these people. I'm not making any personal judgments about any of these people. Um, my perspective... Uh, you mentioned it earlier. Uh, Graceland is in uh, uh, Elvis Presley Enterprises. It's very corporate now. And I think on one hand, Priscilla and Elvis Presley Enterprises has done uh, a, a really, really great job uh, on Elvis's behalf. And on the other hand, there are some things that I'm not maybe as fond of that i think they probably have the blame for. Um, but when I heard what you just said about the secret agent Elvis, that was one where I said, you know what? That, that to me is a really, that's a great idea. That's a great way to honor Elvis because I think he would have absolutely loved something like that. Yeah, yeah, he would love that 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 secret agent persona, James Bunn. You know, <laughs> I, I I don't know, I don't know. Last I've heard of it, I don't know what's holding it up. Um, something's holding it up. Uh, I don't know if it's storyline. Priscilla, I think, kind of talked about it this past Elvis week, and um, she also talked about the new upcoming movie. But uh, I, yeah, something's holding that thing up, man. I just, I hope it gets made. Uh, yeah, I see. Um, I, I, I pulled it up here to see if we had any updates. I remember when that was announced. It's been, it's been a while. Um, I wonder if they're holding it for the movie, you know, it could be that, that, um, cause I, we're going to have a new, I, you know, if it's done right, if it's not crazy, which, it, you know, I mean, it's going to be a musical. Um, but if, if it tells a real if, it, if, if they just tell Elvis's story, they don't even have to add nothing, man. 
Right. Elvis's story is so fascinating, man. Anybody in the country would love it. Um, but want them it's to- going to be blown up Hollywoodish. Uh, but there's going to be a new Elvis kind of fandom, I believe. I, I think so. And I just want this movie. I know there's going to be things that, that frustrate us, but I just want this movie to love Elvis the way that we do. Um, if this is a movie that loves Elvis and you can tell that from the direction, the way it's written, the way Elvis is portrayed, then I can forgive a lot of things that make roll my eyes. You right. Know, if it's a movie that they snuck in as a, we're going to pretend we love Elvis and then we're going to do a hit piece on Elvis, then that'll be the last Baz Luhrmann film I ever watch. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. That's where I'm at on that. And and I, I like Baz Luhrmann a lot. The Great Gatsby is my favorite book, and I thought that movie he did was excellent. Yeah, with DiCaprio. Uh, yeah, I'm big yeah. DiCaprio. Uh, I, just yeah. Want, I, I just wanted to love Elvis, you know, the way that we do. And and I just hate I just hate knowing that Baz never talked to Billy Smith. I, he never I, talked to he dude. never talked to he never talked to um uh to Dean. He never talked to Buzzy Forbes or Farley Guy. He never talked to Ronnie Smith. He never talked to that I know of to to Barbara Hearn. I hope he talked to Dixie, uh Dixie Locke. She Dixie said Locke, he, yeah. that was Elvis's girl. And I told Dixie this past summer when I first met her, I, I told her I said that, you know, your story is very important to Elvis. And that, you know, you, I said, of all the girlfriends, of all the stories, to me, you're the most important because you knew Elvis before he was Elvis. Absolutely. And she liked that when I told her that. And, and I, I believe that, you know, she's a, and yeah, I, she's still with us. And, and, uh, uh, she, she has a book guys that you need to go and, and buy that you don't know about it that she just wrote. And, um, um, I have a, if you go to go trotting with Trey and I have an episode of a movie, uh, outdoor movie theater that her and Elvis went to that they got in a fight and Elvis hitchhiked back to Memphis from <laughs> and uh, all the book information is uh, is in there if you want to go purchase Dixie's book some cool I, stories I would love to read her book and I what I know of, of Dixie uh, I haven't read her book yet what I know of her um, when I first really come to understood who she was and how and how um, important she was to the Elvis story was when I read uh, Last Train to Memphis by Peter Gerlinick, which is one of the best books about Elvis ever written. Um, you know, I uh, he wrote a lot about Dixie. And I remember thinking, wow, I'd like to meet her one day because that's that, that, that was such a such a pivotal relationship for him. Oh, yeah. A very young man. And uh, it's, it, that's just fascinating to well, think who was there I- in the beginning. I, uh, Dixie, uh, Dixie will be um, portrayed in that movie. I know that, uh, and I believe the actress actually came and hang out, hung out with Dixie. So that's good uh, that that actress wanted to come and meet her. And why do you think? Oh, I'm I'm sorry, I didn't, don't mean to cut you off. What are you saying, Jack? I was just gonna say, why do you think it is? And uh, I, I know Billy Smith is going to be portrayed in this movie as well, but wh- why do you think? Um, Billy has said um, on his YouTube channel that um, he almost never is asked to consult on any media related to Elvis. Um, it's no secret that he's Memphis Mafia and that he was Elvis's first cousin. 
And he's also said, uh, and as have, uh, you know, his sons, Danny and Joey, they've, they've talked about it a little bit and it's their family business. So I understand why they don't go too deep into it, but you know, that they haven't seen um, Lisa Marie since she was a little, a little girl or a long, long time ago. Um, You know, I wonder why that is. I wonder what, it just seems kind of sad that he's not, that Billy is not consulted more often, that there are family members, um, that, that they just, you know, I guess it's like any family. I mean, I know I have cousins I haven't seen in years, spoken to in a long time, but, uh, I don't know. I just, I hate, I hate that for, for Billy that he's never consulted and that there are people that don't talk to him and things like that. Yeah, or, you know, Billy, you know, Billy should be cutting and turning on, cutting the ribbons and turning on the uh, Christmas lights every year at Graceland. Absolutely. Uh, no doubt about it. That's why we, we have opened the Tiger Man Karate Dojo and Museum for people like Billy Smith and Joe Smith and, and um, uh, Dean Nicopolis and Linda Thompson and, um, you know, the people that were part of Elvis's life that really don't have a platform never have had had a platform no billy worked at graceland for a while there as a tour guide and um, i think he left there because they wanted him to tell fans that uh some bus was elvis's bus and billy said it's not his bus so i'm not gonna say that yeah so there is just i don't know i I don't yeah i i I just you know boz should have called billy smith no doubt about it and spoke on the phone for five hours, <laughs> you know, because I, I would have. I know he called or he tried at one point to to talk to June Juanico in Biloxi, mm-hmm. and it never happened. So I didn't know, you know, are they going to include a Biloxi part of the story? Are they did they move in another direction? Because I, um, I actually met a June's lawyer um, just out of the blue. I mean, this is the stuff that happens. And we're talking about Elvis, and he told us that he had actually got a call from uh, Boz Lerman. And they were trying to set up some stuff, and then they never got back. Wow. So, yeah, so that was kind of interesting to learn. But, yeah, but Billy should have been talked to and, you know, asked questions or of. Uh, it looked like uh, uh, they spent time up at Graceland at EPE. So that means probably what happened was, you know, they took EPE's advice on people to talk to probably and and yeah unfortunately unfortunately i'm gonna say that (laughs) yeah and that gets into the family piece of it and of course you know that's that's that that, these are real people and that's their real family and so i you know i don't i I would not i would not speculate um too much about that because like i said these are people that's their family it just makes me curious and a little sad for billy um but you know he's i would say that Billy and Billy Smith and probably, and probably Jerry Schilling. Those are the two um, that if I thought, if I thought I could interview them or I thought even I could just talk to them, meet them. Those are the ones that like, in my mind, I really, really hope I get a chance to meet um, while they're still with us. Um, Well, they're both friendly guys. So you should, you have an opportunity if you're ever around them. um, I don't, you know, I'm not a big fan of, I mean, I'm I'm not opposed to to going to where someone's at, and if it's 
in a respectful way trying to meet them. But I've never been the type that would want to bother somebody. So, you know, I think I know enough people now to where I probably, I, I probably, if I was more intrusive of a person, could get in touch with Billy. But I've just, I always want to just be respectful. These are real people with a, with a family. And, and um, to me, of course, they're iconic figures, but, but they're people. So uh, I hope that that time comes. I hope I am able to, to meet them. And, um, but look, Trey, I've, I've so enjoyed this. My request before I let you go is um, would you be willing uh, either uh, with spa guy or just separately uh, to come back sometime after the movie and uh, share your thoughts with us. Yeah, that'd be cool. Do it. Me and Billy. That would be, that would be awesome. Uh, we'll have to set that up. Well, look, I have really appreciated your time. Um, I'm sure that my audience, uh, Logan and I's audience, we're really, really going to enjoy listening to this and you've added a lot of new information. We've covered a ton of ground. This whole conversation, I bet you, I bet you we didn't repeat anything I talked about with, Billy, maybe, maybe one time. So we've learned so, so much um, because of your time and your passion for Elvis and for the truth and um, really appreciate it. And I'll, I'll give you a heads up. Uh, as soon as I'm done recording, I'm just going to give you a quick phone call. Um, there are a couple of things I wanted to, uh, to tell you about um, before we part ways, but uh, we'll go ahead and go off air now, but thank you so much. And is, is there anything else you'd like to share before we, uh, before we conclude? Well, I've enjoyed talking to you and sharing uh, some of these stories um, for the fans to, to learn a little bit more about Elvis Presley and on Glow Trotting with Trey. I have a lot of cool Elvis places that I've filmed and a lot of interviews on there from actual people that knew him that you probably have not heard about some, uh, most of them. And uh, yeah, so today me and Jake, we took care of business in a flash. Yes, we did. Yes, and we Jake, did. like Elvis would say, adios until we meet again. Awesome.